This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. From Christianity Today, this is The Art of Pastoring. I'm Jared Wilson. And I'm Ronnie Martin. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. Hey, thanks for logging in. The Art of Pastoring here with me and my boy, Jared C. Wilson. Jared, what's going on, man? How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I have to ask you because it's now going to be tradition that I comment on <laughs> what you're wearing. Yeah. Uh, which is really good podcast material it, to it, talk it's about It's compelling, visual. man. It's super compelling. It's, yeah. Yeah. But you, you surprised me every every time we record with something. So you had a cap on and then you got the jean jacket. Today, it's like. What is it? It's a fur-lined parka. It's a parka, yeah. Of some kind. You you look like Han Solo in the beginning of Empire Strikes Back. Um, That's literally like the best like, compliment I've gotten like, in like weeks. Like you're about to get inside a Tauntaun is what I think. I mean, literally nobody's been that nice to me in so are you, long. You're inside, brother. You're not like in an igloo. Are, are you cold? Yeah, my so I'm in my studio, which is kind of igloo-ish because like, okay. the heat hasn't kicked in. Yeah, it's a little chilly. Yeah. It's It's a little Empire Strikes Back. It's it's okay. a little beginning of Empire Strikes Back in the <laughs> studio right now. So right, okay. Yeah. So Melissa's gonna have to like send out the the you know tracking team for you later Pretty much, because yeah. you haven't you haven't shown up for lunch. You know, and by tracking team I mean just send out a tray of hot chocolate and goodies and all okay. that stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that'll be that'll be awesome. But yeah, man. So we're we're gonna get into this thing. We were talking last night a little bit about the app, doing a little pre-show prep, and we wanted to talk about marriage and marriage in ministry specifically. And one of the things that struck me was that when we talk about ministry marriages, it's kind of an all-out sort of like barrage of constancy, right? So other jobs, you get to sort of punch in, punch out, get home, leave the job at the job, and then you, you get into ministry and it becomes this all-consuming thing. And even though you hear all the horror stories about how potentially damaging ministry can be on a marriage until you experience it. You don't realize just the nature of it to where it never lets up. And if you're in ministry, your wife is a part of it in all these different unique ways, talking from the perspective of a husband, obviously. So we just want to talk a little bit about today, man, how do we navigate this in a way that honors God and continues to be something where our marriages don't have to be dying on the vine, but they can be in a place of flourishing. And I know we're not trying to do a marriage seminar right now, but, <laughs> but, there, are, but there are some really unique challenges. And when you talk to pastors, you talk to pastors' wives, this is really kind of one of the main features, right? It's one of the most common things for us, which is, and how is my marriage doing? Because this vocation, this calling, it's just all consuming. And so let me just pivot over to you when you were in Vermont and again you were you were in more of a smaller church context which means you were you were wearing all the hats 
And a lot of our listeners are in that context. What were some of the things that you can recall from that time that were maybe helpful and hard? Yeah, probably a couple of things. And I think you're right in that guys going into ministry, it's not really something that they're prepared for. Yeah. Or it's not something that necessarily that you expect is just the outright toll that it can take emotionally and psychologically. Don't want to understate the impact that non-ministry vocations have for on sure. people's energy levels and that sort of thing. So it's very common for those who work to come home tired. So it's not as if every job is a life-giving, you right. know, energizing job. You come right. home tired. But when I wasn't in ministry, I was able to turn off kind of the mental toll. You yeah. know, it, it's not like when I got home from working at the bookstore, I was constantly thinking about the books. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I guess I was kind of you know thinking about books all the time, but turning off work was easy when I clocked out. Because those but books what, didn't cause you a particular kind of stress is what it that's was. That's right. And, yeah. and so I might be tired and yes. that could have an impact on my marriage that I'm just tired and therefore not bringing my best into the home at the end of the day. But when you're in ministry, your mind is still going and it was very difficult for me to turn it off. You couldn't clock out your brain at 5 p.m. or whenever you're leaving. There's just the emotional toll of having mm. poured out for whoever in counseling sessions or just discipleship or just trying to keep all of the balls in the air that you're juggling. And I, I'm just tapped out. Yeah. And so I don't think a lot of young ministers are quite prepared for that. And then the other thing is, in a way, in the beginning, you really enjoy it. You enjoy being kind of the supplier of mm. ministry to everyone. Mm. I think maybe this kind of taps into that codependency thing we talked about mm -hmm. recently as well. That in the beginning, you enjoy feeling needed and that people like you and they want to talk to you and they're interested in you. And if you're fresh out of seminary or, you know, or Bible college where you might not have had that experience, you're just one among whatever, but and now you're finally the guy. You graduate to become the guy. <laughs> and it feels kind of good. And women who want to be your wife's best friend and it's just, everything's fantastic. You're stressing me out right now. I know, I know. And so it feels kind of good and you can kind of get sucked into this dynamic of really kind of spending more relational and emotional capital than you actually have. Yeah, that's a great point. Which of course is going to have ramifications for your relationship at home. So that's something, yeah, you know, that's good that we had to work through and, Certainly not perfectly. It was a lot of trial and error and kind of figuring out, oh, man, I, I got to put some guardrails up in this area, and I need to be really careful about this. And yeah, some practical things, yeah. But I came home a lot of days just tapped out and lazy for it, not kind of yeah, for sure. building myself up to be at my best. Obviously, I'm visualizing a lot of people that are going to listen to this pod that are going to really, they're going to have a a really deep understanding of what it is that we're talking about. And I wonder, what is the nature of ministry that makes it such a mental drain? It was well said in the beginning when you said, hey, look, other jobs drain you in all kinds of different ways. You know, So it's not like we're not trying to paint ministry into a corner of which nothing else can touch it. And it has this exclusivity of being the most draining thing in the world. But there's something specific about it where it does seem to take everything out of you to where you get to a place where you're like, man, I just, I don't have anything to offer. 
what is the nature of it and, and why does it have that effect on us to the degree that it does, do you think? I have a couple of theories. One, I think, is just related to maybe even the the chemistry of the thing. So I remember doing a little bit of research not too long ago about burnout, pastoral burnout. And I came across this study that showed that those who are in the helping professions had the highest rate yeah. of burnout and depression. And mm. it included things like social workers, emergency room doctors and EMTs, mm. firemen and and police officers, you know, law enforcement officers, and it included clergy mm. in that. And kind of the extrapolation that that they conducted was had a lot to do with kind of this surges of adrenaline and then kind of the recession of that. I'm not, I'm not a science guy, so I don't know, how, you know, all the chemi- <laughs> I don't know all the chemistry of it, but there was something about like when you're engaging in crises yeah. on a regular basis, your body can't recover well enough because you're always kind of at the top. Certainly helping people in ministry is not the same as being on patrol as a police officer, that kind of thing, or, or, or rushing into burning buildings. But it's a similar dynamic in the sense that there are people who are always in crisis or there's always somebody in need and you're rushing to that or helping them with that. And so you're kind of topped out at this kind of red line. Yeah, that's so good. A lot of pastors I know, they just they kind of spiritualize that as well. Right. And so it's just hard for them to recover from it. So I think there's, I think there's that. I also just think that we biblically carry the weight of accountability of a church, right? Yeah. We're going to be judged more strictly. The scriptures say, yeah, you have Paul saying things like I gladly be spent, you know, for you and pour myself out as a drink offering. And we're like, good grief. I guess I got to <laughs> do that. You know, <laughs> I was going to say, you keep talking and I keep feeling more stressed about this. Yeah, so yeah. I think it's things like that where we just understand that this isn't yeah. a jobby job. This isn't I clock in and clock out. Yeah. I, I really am going to have to give an account for these souls that I'm responsible for. I mean, good pastors feel that, yeah. that I, I, I'm carrying the weight of, of this flock. And that's got to take a toll on you that has to begin to kind of weigh and and even crush you a little bit. Yeah. And it kind of makes me think that more than anything else, there has to be some kind of an acknowledgement of that as early as you can as a pastor. So if you're, maybe if you're a younger dude, that's just maybe even a couple of years into this, this whole thing to, to begin to acknowledge that. In other words, it's probably taking a toll on you that your adrenaline and your energy is, is not keying you into, but it's going to catch up to you. And so it sounds to me like there's a particular kind of intentionality. We have to learn how to structure things to the best that we can to allow for those moments in our lives for us to be able to get some sense of of renewal and some sense of rest. And it can't be all rest and renewal, right? Because we have other things to do when we have families, but we definitely got to find a way to we use that word balance, which is that even attainable? Is that even achievable? Right. Yeah. But there has to be something where I would say at a baseline, we shouldn't ignore the toll that this is having on us, even if it's not always immediately felt right. We should acknowledge that it's there. Yeah. I think the cliche term is that you don't sacrifice your family on yeah. the altar of ministry. I think it's possible to do the other side of that coin as well to sacrifice ministry on the altar of family. But that's just so rare. I don't see that yeah. so often. More often than not, guys are kind of cutting corners when it comes to their marriage and, yeah. and their home. 
to kind of keep the ministry going, or at least their sense of the ministry going. Yeah. When you were pastoring in Vermont, was there, do you, do you recall like a moment or, or, or some particular season where it was this thing where you could, man, you were feeling the way you were feeling the burden, man, the pressure was there. It was creating that sort of havoc and internal chaos. And you could see that maybe your marriage was maybe not in crisis, but it certainly was was something that wasn't taking the kind of priority that it needed to take. And were you, were you able to do some things to refocus that? Like so much in, in my life and every other area, I've learned more of what to do by having done the wrong thing. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, Just by, you know, it's a long series of mistakes from which I, I go, oh, I should not do that. I should be a different kind of person than than I was. That's kind of how I've learned. And I can just think of the confusion, first of all, of feeling emotionally and, and physically exhausted and mentally exhausted. Also juggling how much do I bring my wife into yeah. this mess yeah. that's going on. There would be times where I would maybe open up about things that were going on because I just needed someone to talk to. Yeah. And why not the person you're one flesh with? And I didn't always perceive that it made it better. I could see that it was mm. adding some gloom to her heart, and it was changing her disposition. So then I would think, oh, well, I, you know, I shouldn't do that anymore. I don't want to put this weight on her. But then it feels like, well, now you're not talking about the things that are the most important. You're not the most important, you know, but the things that are really affecting you. Now I'm not saying anything about that. I'm just keeping it all inside. And I'm coming home kind of expecting really my wife to be Jesus. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like I need a refuge. I need yeah. comfort. I need to be soothed after the soreness of this day. And I come home putting a different kind of burden yeah. on her. And neither one of those were really the routes to take. What I learned that kind of was an antidote to some extent were the times that we felt mm. like we could do ministry together, if that makes sense. So there was a lot of suffering in our church and a lot of, you know, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, we just had a lot of friends die and there were things that we could go visit people together and yeah. there were things in tandem we could do where I could offer spiritual yeah. help and, and kind of, you know, relational assistance and Beck could be cooking and cleaning and showing hospitality or coming to someone's home and kind of watching the kids. Yeah, that's good. And those things that we would do together, th that kind of teammate dynamic was probably the most in sync and, and the most kind of helpful, I think, to this whole idea of what the ministry can do to a marriage or what a ministry marriage can be. Th the more you can feel like you're in it together and not that you're just out doing this thing and then you're coming home trying to figure out do I put this weight on her or not put this weight on her? The more that you feel like you're in it together, the better. This episode is brought to you by smallgroups.com. Find everything you need to build, grow, and maintain a healthy, thriving small group ministry. Smallgroups.com equips you to develop your ministry model and train your leaders, to nurture spiritual growth in group members, to troubleshoot typical group problems, and also to avoid common pitfalls. Whatever your role in developing life-changing community, we have resources for you. Visit smallgroups.com today.
How about you? I know, I know you. Oh man, yeah. Gosh, I was even thinking about a conversation that me and Melissa, affectionately known as Big M, were having this morning. I think one of the key areas I've seen this in other couples is just be. It kind of goes back to what you said a minute ago, which is we acknowledge. We even acknowledge this this morning. Hey, we have to talk about some things. It's just the way it is. You know, I, I mean. With the amount of ministry we're doing, the amount of conversations that we're having, the amount of burdens that those conversations and those interactions create, and we have to talk to each other about those things. There's no doubt about it. But I think what we've come to, and it was a really important discovery for us, is the way that we talk about yeah. those those things, those instances, and those situations. And I think what we would do is we had we had a really bad habit of just talking about those things in a very negative way. And so what we would do instead of giving the other person some sense of relief and encouragement and sort of a listening ear, we would just keep sort of heightening the anxiety and the stress and the emotions that those things were encased in instead of saying, hey, you know what, there's a way to talk about this and acknowledge the pain of it acknowledge the challenge of it, the struggle that we feel internally with it, but then also make sure that we very intentionally pivot from that into just a way of talking about it that brings encouragement, brings scripture into it, that doesn't just keep going on and on for hours at a time, but says, hey, there's a time to talk about this, bring Christ into it as being our help and how we need to be nurtured through it, and then pray, make sure that we end these conversations in, a, in kind of a, almost like a swift way with prayer so that we can actually move on to other things. Because I don't know, if you're like me, man, sometimes those things can just, they can start to cycle and circle. And before you know it, you're sitting there and you've made even a situation that was mildly stressful, incredibly stressful because you, <laughs> yeah. you keep bringing more things into it. And you start dreaming of potential situations that could become worse as the result. Instead of saying, hey, you know what? Like we serve... We serve a God who is closer to this situation than even we are, who is in the middle of it in ways that we actually aren't because we don't have the ability to be. So let's remind each other to remember who's going before us, who we can trust in this, and who is carrying our burdens through this. And so I think, again, it goes back to bringing Christ into the center of these things in a way to, man, not do what the world does, right, which is to just imagine scenarios and situations as if Christ doesn't exist in the middle of them, yeah. right? Yeah, and I think that was the mistake that I was making in, in a sense was expecting Becky to be to be my functional Messiah because there's something, I'm not like this with every situation or every hurt or struggle, but I'm like this with a lot, which is if I get off my chest, if I can talk it out and I feel like somebody's listening and caring about it, I've processed it, and then I can just kind of move on. Now, if it's a recurring issue or, or a person who's causing recurring issues, it's it's harder to do that. But I do think I'm kind of the person that like I just I, I want it behind me. I don't yes. want to have to keep thinking about this. I don't yes. I don't want to keep dealing with this. So if I can just kind of get it out, and and so what would happen is, you know, I'd come home, I'd be upset or frustrated about a thing, I'd be reluctant to talk about it, but then realizing I got to expel you know you know exercise these demons somehow <laughs> totally and then and then i'd put it on back yes and then i'd be like oh man okay that feels better well now she's carrying she's the thing carrying, around exactly i know <laughs> and it, it, it's this weird perverted form of prayer it's like I'm, I'm handing it over to you now yeah whereas jesus can absorb it and it not 
affect him or or make him feel down or or sad or anything like that. Yeah, I'm just kind of putting the weight You're on her now on to her. carry. Yeah. And then I get frustrated that she's <laughs> sad, you know. Yes. I'm like, what do you, you know, <laughs> hey, we just talked about it. It's over now. She's like, yeah, except for now it's my problem. You've just Now it's yeah, now it's I've inherited, circling in her airspace. I've inherited your grief <laughs> with this. And I think that's such a good point and I think this goes back to us being able to have honest conversations with our spouse, it's really knowing our spouse better. Like I know that there are things that my wife is able to carry in a healthy way. And then there are other things where I, I don't know that she can't. And it's just the same for me. So it's yeah. helpful to know what those what those things are. Because at the end of the day, to say that there shouldn't be any communication, that's no. not a healthy marriage. Because, you know, I mean, just to tag on the, on the reverse to that, I've known men that keep it all to themselves. And they yeah. sort of have this almost this like heroic, I don't burden my wife with anything. I, I leave all my ministry behind church doors. And it's like, yeah, but man, that's also creating a particular kind of marriage. If you're not discussing any of these things with her, like, like that's not what it's meant to be either. And so even yeah. fi- finding the balance to where it's like, hey, we're actually helping each other rather than, yeah. than, than continuing with, with, instead of increasing and piling on the stress and the angst, right? Well, and there's a difference between venting and asking for wisdom. Yes. So sometimes even the way that you're sharing the information, if you're saying, hey, I'm struggling with this, or this is something that happened today. What do you think about that? How do you think I should respond to that? How should I be thinking myself about that? That's different than simply vomiting up the struggles that you've got. Yeah. And then it's just this mess and and you're wanting her to participate in it or to feel it like you feel it or whatever it is. And that might feel good in the moment, but it's not as productive and it's not as Christ-like as if you're going to talk about it saying you have a perspective and, and wisdom that I don't. And to some extent, you're not as in the weeds of this situation as yeah. I have been. Yeah. So you perhaps have a, a more detached perspective on it, but or at least just a different angle. Help me understand this, or what do you think I should do about this, or or something like that. So you're actually creating an avenue for a productive conversation rather than just, hey, let's commiserate together and talk about how terrible that person is. Right. And that's, and again, <laughs> so that's what it can turn into. And that feeds something fleshly in us when we do that and we find ourselves doing that. But I think what you just described in your approach is, even to front load an initial conversation, let's say you're coming back from a particularly difficult meeting or something of that nature, and to say, hey, b- before I even speak a word, can we pray that God would give us a particular kind of shared collective wisdom and how we even talk about it, how we process it, and then God give us the wisdom when to like turn it off. You know, like <laughs> this doesn't necessarily need yeah. to be an hour conversation. We don't need to share every single detail that happened. But maybe this is a 12-minute conversation, and then we can move on to something else. So there was a sense where we prayed, we sought God's wisdom, we helped each other process something, we assured one another that Christ is still there and in the center of it. And so we walk away feeling encouraged, but we also, we had that ability to maybe get it off our chest a little bit in, in the most helpful of ways. And so it's it comes back to intentionality, right, at the end of the day. Yeah. What do you think about the weight of expectations on ministry marriage or ministry spouse from the church, unspoken or spoken? What kind of weight does that carry, do you think? Yeah, I, I think that carries a lot of weight because I think that I, 
it's so interesting. We were, I was recently talking to a couple about some of those expectations that the church had on the wife. And it was a church planting scenario. And there was, hey, you know, you should be doing this with the women and you should be doing this with the children. Because, you know, again, there's never enough people in a church planting scenario. So everybody has to wear all these hats. But what I found interesting about it was it wasn't as much the people's expectations as it was the pastor, the husband's expectations going in saying, hey, you should, I, I kind of think you should be doing all these things too. Yeah. As she's juggling, you know, a house full of children and, and all of those, <laughs> yeah, and right, all yeah. of those things. And so it was really interesting to say that, like, I think the expectations for, I'm just centering in on the wife in right now, but the expectations for her, they come from maybe even more the, the pastor husband than they, than they do the people. But that in and of itself puts a massive strain on the marriage because now you think, hey, are we all quote unquote pulling our, our weight here? This is an all in. We knew this yeah. was going to be an all in scenario. But again, I, I think that comes back to unvoiced expectations instead of sitting down and saying, hey, what can we do? What should we be doing? What is our what is our gifting to do here? Why would we expect something that maybe is impossible that's going to put our marriage at a real disadvantage and maybe it's something that neither of us are incredibly gifted for and we need to just pause and wait and, and find somebody that can fill that role instead of just having it just come down like an anvil on the marriage right yeah i think the unvoiced expectations sometimes can be can be the worst ones because you can actually deal with the other if it's some kind of vague when we moved from our church plant in nashville to vermont at our church plant, as you mentioned, I mean, Becky was doing kids ministry. She was doing women's discipleship. She was doing all these things which she can do. She loves kids. She loves women and, and, and discipling young women in particular. But it was out of obligation that she had to do those things. There was no one else to do it. So consequently, when we're having our, our Sunday gathering, she's not. she hasn't been to church in a million years because she's always running childcare. So when we were interviewing in, in Vermont. And she worked full-time as well when we were in. Other in than that, school. she had so much time, Jerry. Yeah, she had so much time to do all kinds of things. But, I mean, she was just withering under all of this. And when we were interviewing in Vermont, I, I, I asked them, I said, are there expectations you have about what the pastor's wife has to be? Because she's been doing a lot of stuff under obligation and it would be great for her to just kind of figure out, like, what do I want to do now? Let's kind of exercise her gifts and, and and that sort of thing. And they were very good to say, hey, we're hiring you, not her. Yeah, that's um, good. So she doesn't have to lead the women's ministry. She doesn't need to be in the children's ministry, all these sorts of things. She can kind of figure out what she wants to do and not do, which was great. And that sounded great. But it was the unspoken expectations from people in the congregation about she's too Southern or she's too extroverted or we wish that she would be more involved in this or that or the other thing. Those are the ones that like, man, you, you feel like it, it's like whack-a-mole. This stuff's just <laughs> popping up. Yeah. And sometimes it's so vague and amorphous. You don't even know why is that person disappointed with my wife? Those sorts of things, people who would be upset with her for, for no apparent reason or disappointed in her for no apparent reason. And I don't know. It boils down to this kind of image of, what the previous pastor's wife was like or what yeah. you know, your your wife needs to be like. Those are just so difficult to work through. Just the, the level of expectation. Women who just thought I'm going to be the pastor's wife's best friend. Yeah, yeah. Forgetting that friendship doesn't work that way. <laughs> you don't just decide, you know, yeah. I'm going to be your best friend now, you know, that kind of thing. 
it's such a heavy, heavy burden. We talked about these, these unvoiced, these unspoken expectations. And I think when we talk about how do we, how do we begin to navigate those things? How do we remedy some of those things? And I, I do think it comes back down to, for us, communication is so key and asking those questions and being honest with your elder team and being honest with your wife and saying, hey, is, are, are you feeling the weight of something that, that is hard to even put our finger on? Let's, let's try to unpack that and figure, what, figure out what that is. Um, because we don't, we don't want to be, we just, we, we want to have something here that is flourishing. We understand that we're in a particular vocation of which the weight is always going to be there. And it's always threatening to, to, you know, to come down on us heavier and heavier by the minute. And so I think being able to express that and then being able to locate what those things might be as a way to approach them and to lessen the load that we we might not know to do because we just aren't having those conversations to find out and figure out what they are. And then, of course, just I love what you said before about seeking the wisdom of the other person. And of course, that's always just acknowledging that, hey, Christ has this thing. We are just the fools that he is using in this particular church, in this particular season. So can we help each other trust him together now for all of the weights that are bearing down the unseen ones, the seen ones. Can we be a help and a, and a friend to each other in those things? Right. Yeah. I, you know, I just think practically next to communication, just having proper boundaries in place as well, that you're protecting your day off and protecting time with your spouse, that you're not letting unnecessary distractions creep in. Obviously, if there's emergencies and things like that, you need to tend to and, and, and not be neglectful. But I mean, I experienced people who who would know like, OK, I take Fridays off and Fridays are for my wife. And once certain weirdo people heard that, they begin to test it. Hey, I can only meet on Friday. And I'm like, well, it doesn't work that way. You know, right, <laughs> like, yeah. you don't say to your doctor, I can only meet on Friday. You know, it, if it's important enough, you'll rearrange things to meet at a different time but fridays are for my wife so unless you're dying or someone and even if you're dying we that's a conversation (laughs) no if they're if they're dying i would be there my (laughs) wife would understand but yeah just like stubbornly protecting that time having the right amount of boundaries in place i think that's super helpful as well otherwise you're just if you're going 24 7 yeah and trying to fit the person that you're one flesh with into the seams and cracks of your life, um, things are seriously upside down. Yeah. And I think, man, I think that's a good word to end on. And man, we, we can talk about this. There's so many aspects to this that we yeah. can, that we can talk about in further, further episodes and, and we'll for sure do that. And listeners can suggest some, some angles to this too, that we'd love to, to unpack for sure. So That'd be great, man. It's yeah. been good talking with you. I hope you go get some hot chocolate and, you know, got a warm fire to cozy up to. Looking kind of blue looking right now, frigid. aren't I? I mean, it's just, I'm, yeah, I'm so cold like right. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I do hope you have a great day, man. Yeah, you too, man. You, hey, thanks for joining us, guys. You're listening to The Art Pastor.
If you're liking the show, please take a minute and give us a rating and review in iTunes. It helps other people find us. You can find Ronnie and me on Twitter at, at Ronnie J. Martin and at Jared C. Wilson. Feel free to hit us up with questions and potential topics for the show. We'd love to hear from you. The Art of Pastoring is a production of Christianity Today. It's produced by Mike Cosper, editing by Mike Cosper and Aaron Leslie, mixing by Aaron Leslie. Our theme song is Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah by Jeremy Casella. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.